going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We've been for the last few weeks. We're looking at the story of David and Goliath. How many of you have ever felt like you don't have what you need? You know, we just talked about God providing what we need. So maybe it seems like a little strange question, but maybe you've sized up a challenge in your life and you've determined that there's no way with what you have that you can do what needs to be done. Maybe you don't even know where to begin to find what you need to face the giant in your life. It could be that you're here this morning and there's a situation in your life where your family is horribly broken and you have absolutely no idea how to fix it. Maybe your giant is a grudge and there's a deep bitterness from a time when someone wronged you in the past or maybe there's life controlling situations in your life. Maybe your giant is an addiction that you haven't been able to fully control. Maybe you've tried time and time again different things to face this giant, to defeat the giant. Maybe it's your job that's a nightmare. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Maybe your finances are a mess. You want to face the giant, but the voices of criticism tell you that you're not good enough. You wish there was someone that could help you to do the right thing. There's lots of advice from many different sources, but they seem to be in the same situation that you're already in, or worse. In 2003, there was a new makeover reality TV game show, the TV show that gained popularity, had a little different spin than some of the other makeover shows. Instead of making over a house by remodeling or making over a car by pimping my ride or something along those lines, they would ambush an unsuspecting person who had been nominated by their friends and family as a style offender, a style felon, if you would. And, and this person desperately needed help with their look and their appearance and their wardrobe. And so they would offer this person $5,000 toward a new wardrobe in exchange for getting rid of the current one and allowing themselves to be subject to the critique of a couple of stylists uh, that hosted the show. And the stylists would provide help and advice that they needed to make changes, sometimes uh, changes that they didn't even realize that they needed to make. Now, for the most part, the show participants receiving the makeover were initially reluctant, right? But by the end, they were pretty convinced of the new style and the makeover was a success. However, every once in a while, there was a contestant that just wasn't interested in changing their look and wearing the new, new clothes and adopting this, this makeover. They were going to wear camouflage clothes every day of their life. They didn't care what anyone said, and you can keep your $5,000. I'm staying where I'm at, right? And to, in my opinion, those are the best shows. Well, today, we're going to look at the original script for What Not to Wear from 1 Samuel chapter 17. And the original what not to wear participant was actually King Saul. And he, despite being the king of Israel, he had everything that a giant killer shouldn't have and didn't need. Saul had the opportunity to become the hero of this story, but he refused to face Goliath. And on the other hand, David was just a shepherd boy and an unlikely hero. But he had everything that he needed to face Goliath. In the eyes of King Saul and others, David needed a makeover because there's no way that a boy with a sling and some stones could face a giant. During the last three weeks, we've been looking at the famous story in the Bible of David and Goliath. And there's two opposing armies camped on opposite sides of an enormous valley. The Israelite army and the Philistine army. Every day, a giant named Goliath came out to challenge and provoke the Israelite army. 
Every day he issued a challenge to anyone that would be willing to come and fight him in a one-on-one battle, a representative battle. If Goliath won, then the Israelite army would be defeated. If the Israelite soldier won, then the Philistine army would be defeated. And for 40 days, Goliath issued the challenge twice a day. And 80 times, the Israelite army, including King Saul, ran away terrified. No one was willing to fight Goliath. When David arrived on the front lines to deliver food to his brothers, he saw what was happening and it angered him. He couldn't believe that the army of God was running in fear of one man, and he decided to do something about it. Now, David faced the criticism of of other people, including his own family, but he didn't get sidetracked from fighting against what he was supposed to be fighting for. That's another sermon for married couples for another day. Too often we spend time fighting against what we're supposed to be fighting for. But David didn't do that. David demonstrated his faith in God and was unwilling to let the size of a giant cloud his view of the size of his God. King Saul heard about what David was saying and he called for him. And that's where our story picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. And this is what it says. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. Saul replied, well, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Some of you thought the Bible was boring. You need to read it more. This is pretty exciting. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them, because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. I find that interesting. Isn't it amazing that people will use spiritual cliches to cover empty lives? Saul recognizes that he can't deny the truth of what David is saying, so instead he gets really spiritual sounding. Well, go, and the Lord be with you then. All right, whatever. Verse 38 continues, And Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a broad tilman on his head. David fastened the sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to it. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. And David and Goliath is a great story. It's one of the best nonfiction stories ever, possibly the greatest story of all time. But I'll tell you another fascinating and much less explored story is the story of Saul and Goliath. It's the story of what could have been and probably what should have been. We still have a few weeks left that we're going to learn principles from how David defeated Goliath over the next two weeks. But today I want us to explore how Saul didn't defeat Goliath. Because there's lessons that you can learn from success, but there's also lessons that you learn from failure. And I don't know about you, but I want to learn from other people's failure instead of my own. David killing Goliath is mind-blowing. But Saul not killing Goliath is something that will make you scratch your head as well. To do this, I need to give you a little history and refresher about King Saul. So allow me for a minute to do some character development. Not long after the people of Israel came into the Promised Land, they'd left Egypt, they'd crossed over the Red Sea, they'd wandered around, 
God's given them this land, and they finally walk into the land that God had promised them. They realized upon their arrival that they had no king. In other words, God had just delivered them from slavery. He had miraculously provided for them every step of the way. He had fed them. He had protected them. He had walked with them. He had provided everything they needed, but that now they wanted to be like everyone else around them. They wanted a king. They didn't want God to rule over them anymore. They wanted to rule themselves. And God didn't really want them to have a king. He wanted them to rely on him and not on human power. But God gave them what they wanted. And that's a lesson for us all, that we should be careful what we ask for. Mm -hmm. So God told Samuel to anoint a king, and Saul was chosen. And Saul was not a bad choice for king. Not at all. In fact, Saul was a young man when he was anointed king. And the Bible says that he was tall and strong. He was head and shoulders above the other men in Israel. But he was also humble. And he was God-fearing. And the same kind of words that were used to describe David later on as being a man after God's own heart are the same words that were used to describe Saul early on in his life. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God came on him and he became a successful and godly warrior king. But as you're reading the story, there's a plot twist. Just a few chapters before 1 Samuel chapter 17, we don't have time to read all those chapters today. I encourage you over the course of the week to go back and look at the chapters before 1 Samuel 17 and read it. But I'm going to summarize it for you. Saul begins to lead out of his own wisdom and his own ability. And he stops listening to and obeying God. And as a result, the Spirit of God leaves him and God stops speaking to him. If you stop listening to God, don't be surprised if he stops speaking. If you stop obeying the voice of God, don't be surprised if you can't hear the voice of God anymore. You would think that this would have been a wake-up call for King Saul, but instead of repenting and turning back to God, he continues in disobedience and he hardens his heart. As a result, one of these instances, Saul disobeys. And he wins a battle in spite of his disobedience. But the result of that is that the Philistines captured all the blacksmiths. And Israel was no longer able to make weapons and armor. In fact, they had to go to their enemies for weapons and armor and to have their existing weapons even sharpened. It's a sad state of affairs in the, in the country of Israel. But Sam, and Samuel rebuked Saul and told him that God would remove him as king and find another man after God's heart to lead the people. And so God sends Samuel to anoint David as the next king. Shortly after this, the prophet Samuel dies. So now, not only is Saul not able to hear the voice of God for himself, but his only connection that he had to the man of God is gone. And now we find Saul, the great warrior king, backing down in terror from the giant Goliath. And this history is important to our story today because here we have on one side the undefeated giant champion, Goliath. And on the other side, we have King Saul. And Goliath's a pretty big, intimidating guy, but Saul's not a small man either. He's head and shoulders above all the other soldiers. He's a warrior king who's won many battles. And because there's no blacksmith, thanks to his own disobedience, he's likely one of the few that has armor and weapons. But instead of fighting Goliath, he goes into hiding. He knows that God's spirit has left him, and he's no longer anointed to lead. Instead of fighting the giant, Saul tries to bribe and persuade his other soldiers to fight the giant that he should be fighting. But Saul is the king and the leader of this army, and his soldiers are following his lead. And here's a great reminder for leaders. 
Whether you're a leader at work or at church or even a parent with little ones looking to you for an example, don't expect others to do what you're unwilling to do. Don't be surprised when your character flaws get repeated in those that you're supposed to be leading. Saul really had nothing to lose at this point in his life fighting Goliath. He had tarnished his reputation. He had messed up and failed God. He could have repented and faced Goliath and set an example as the leader that no giant will defy the people of God. And if he won, he would have been celebrated even more. And if he lost, he would have gone down as having stood up to the enemy of the people of God and having given his life for what's right. And that's a way better way to go out than the way that Saul actually went out. David, on the other hand, he had everything to lose. No one was looking at David to fight Goliath. No one expected that he would. He had been anointed as the future king of Israel, and he would be putting his life and his reputation on the line. His future as the king was at stake. He had every reason to say that he wasn't going to fight that giant that day. And if I had been in David's position, I might have been tempted to let someone else fight. But David knew that he was anointed to lead, and this was the time to start. And we learn from this that leaders lead, especially when no one else will. Leaders fight when everyone else is afraid. Leaders take on the enemy when everyone else runs away. Leaders see the divine potential in confronting the big, intimidating, long-term giants and problems that have been allowed to exist for too long. Leaders understand this simple principle. Between you and your potential, there's always a giant to face. It's nowhere in the Bible. But I firmly believe that David, if he had refused to face Goliath, he would have missed out on the opportunity to become the king that he was anointed to be. Goliath stood between him and his future destiny as a leader and as a king. And in the same way, you've been created by God for a purpose. You have a future and a destiny that awaits you. God has an amazing plan for your life, and that future doesn't just impact you, but countless others around you. Your family, your community, even souls hang in the balance. My prayer is that you won't allow a giant obstacle to prevent you from accomplishing God's purpose for your life. I'm praying for you to confront and defeat the Goliath in your life. You can't defeat a giant you won't face. But if you're willing to face the giant, you can win because with God's help, you're going to find that the God inside of you is bigger than the giant in front of you. And God will fight for you and God will fight with you. The problem isn't the giant in front of us. The problem is that there's giants like fear and unbelief in our hearts. The giants in front of us aren't able to stop us from reaching that all that God has for us, but oftentimes the voices inside of us and around us paralyze us with fear and with doubt. Saul represented not only a voice of criticism in David's life, which we talked about last week, but there was also a lesson in here of what not to wear. And today I want to show you three contrasts between Saul and David. There's three things that Saul had that giant killers don't need. We can say it's the what not to wear, Saul edition. So the first thing we're going to look at is Saul's heart. Giant killers don't harden their hearts and relinquish their responsibility. The first thing that David says to King Saul is let no one lose heart. It's interesting that David mentions his heart because it was the heart of King Saul that had hardened and turned away from God. And it was David who is said to be a man after God's heart. But David says don't lose heart, not on account of this little giant. I'm going to go fight him. To this point, Saul had ignored the giant and backed down in fear. And what does that tell you about his heart? 
But this giant wasn't going away. Giants have to be defeated. In those days, kings were not supposed to be far removed from the battle, from the front lines. Saul's willingness to let someone else fight said everything you need to know about the heart of Saul. A heart that's unwilling to fight is a heart that is accepting of defeat. Your giant just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's not going away. It has to be defeated. Someone somewhere has to fight because it will never go away on its own. Listen to me, parents. The giant that you refuse to fight today very well may be the giant that your kids have to fight. Mm -hmm. Leaders, the giant that you remain to exist may be the reason the next generation stumbles and falls. Your giant is your giant to fight. No one else can fight it for you, and don't you dare try to assign it to someone else. No one else can win the battle on your behalf. Not your parent, not a pastor, not a counselor, and not a friend. Those people can stand with you, and hopefully they'll encourage you and not criticize you. But you have to learn a radical trust in God and have a heart that relies on him. No one went with David. No one carried a shield for David, and no one had David's back, but he wasn't alone because it was him and God, and you plus God is bigger than any giant you're ever going to face. Don't lose heart. Have a heart after God, and one that's full of faith and courage to fight. The next thing that's on the list of what not to wear for giant killers is Saul's only. You're saying is what? Saul's only. Giant killers don't react Based on comparison, verse 33, Saul replied, You're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. Saul looked at David and he judged him based on appearance and he compared him to Goliath. He said, You're only a young man and he's been a warrior since his youth. David refused to be labeled by Saul's only and compared to his enemy. David said, if you want to make comparisons about me, then let me tell you what God's done for me in the past. And let's compare this situation to that one. Let's compare what God has done and how he was with me when I faced the lion. And, and, and compare that to how God's going to be with me when I face Goliath. The same God that I brought to that valley is the same God that I brought to this valley. So if you want to start comparing, let's compare that. And I can tell you, that for every teenager or a young person in the room, the world doesn't have very high expectations for you. You're only a teenager. You're only a young person. You're only a college student. What difference can you make? Long before David killed Goliath, though, he decided he wasn't going to be an average teenager. David was only 17 when he killed <coughs> Goliath. And if he had been a typical teenager, when his dad asked him to deliver snacks to his brothers, David would have rolled his eyes... And maybe he would have been cut out to be a giant killer. If David says, are you kidding me, Dad? I'm the future king, you know? Come on. I'm not going to be your pizza delivery boy. Remember, Samuel's already anointed David as king. He already knows he has a great future. But David, if he refused to be faithful in his present and just focus on his future, I believe the story ends a lot differently. But we don't read in the story about Jesse telling David to go and then David rolling his eyes in the back of his head and then pulling out his phone, checking his Instagram, getting back in bed and posting on his Instagram account, you know, the fake one that Jesse didn't follow. We don't read that David starts posting on there about how he hates his parents and he hates his life and he can't believe that he has to go run errands for his dad. We don't read about how David arrives late because he snuck in a trip to see his girlfriend on the way. David could have been typical, but instead he was faithful. 
He could have been told to go and went and done it with a bad attitude and put his earbuds in, music blasting, and come home, gone to bed, slept eight hours, and become the Xbox king later that day. What a boring story that would have been. David didn't do that. He didn't do the typical thing. Others expected nothing from him, but he didn't care. He didn't live his life in comparison to others, and he didn't want to be like them. He wanted to be the king. He was living his life on purpose. It wasn't because he woke up and knew that he was going to kill a giant that day either. He didn't have some little reminder on his phone that popped up and said, hey, today's the day. You're going to kill Goliath and become the king of Israel. Congratulations. He didn't know. It was just an ordinary day in the life of a 17-year-old boy. He had no idea what God had in store for him that day. It was just an ordinary day until it wasn't. You don't know what God has planned for you today. You don't know if today is the day that you step into all that God has for you. You don't know if today is the day that God's going to use you to defeat a giant in your life. If you settle for typical and aren't even faithful in the ordinary, then how do you expect that God's going to use you to do the extraordinary? You can't control it if they define you and label you, but you choose whether you live up to it or not. You choose if you're going to be typical. Saul told David, you're only a boy. And I wonder what you're only. In your own mind and in the eyes of others. Saul wasn't even the enemy. He was on the same team. But he told David, you're only a boy. Today, you're only a teenager. You're only a single mother. You're only a kid from Wheatland, Wyoming. You're only a high school dropout. You're only a divorcee. You're only a college freshman. You're only a Chi Alpha director. You're only a music major. Society may set the bar low for you and not expect anything great from you. Other people may doubt and misjudge you and compare you, but you choose what not to wear. I'm preaching this to someone today that's standing in front of something that they've never seen before. And voices are telling you what you're only and what you've never. And you're going to have to choose. You can listen to those voices and you can tell them how you may have never faced a giant before, but you faced a lion and you faced a bear. And if they didn't stand a chance because they were opposing your father's business, then this giant that opposes the purposes of God, it's going to face the same fate as the lion and the bear. There are upset victories for everything in your life that opposes the purpose of God for your life. I think that Saul looked at Goliath and then he looked at David and he said, you're only a boy. He's too big for you to kill. And I think that David looked at Goliath and he looked at God and he said, I know I'm only a boy, but that one's too big for us to miss. Giant killers don't need Saul's only. They choose not to react based on comparison. The third thing that Saul had that giant killers don't need is Saul's armor. Because giant killers don't rely on human strength. It says in verse 38 that then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around, but he was not used to them. I can't go out on these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. What is it you need to take off that doesn't belong? I think it's amazing that Saul wasn't willing to go and fight the giant. 
Saul didn't have the faith to fight the giant himself. He didn't have faith that David would be able to defeat the giant, but yet he wanted to tell David how to do it. Don't take advice on how to kill giants from people that aren't even willing to face their own giants in their own life. I'm not against mentorship and accountability. In fact, I think that everybody needs somebody that's speaking into them. Everybody needs somebody that's a little bit ahead of them in their relationship with God or maybe a little bit ahead of them in certain areas of life that will be able to speak into their life and pour into their life and invest into them. And I think that every person also can find somebody that's not quite as far along as they are and they can speak into that person's life and they can pour into that person's life and they can invest into that person's life. But you have to be careful who you allow to speak into you. Saul had fought many physical battles, but the Spirit of God had now departed from Saul. And the battle with Goliath wasn't just a physical one, it was also a spiritual one. This was a God-defying giant. How many of you have ever heard the saying, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight? I'm not sure if David had ever seen the untouchables, but I, I can imagine David saying to Saul, thanks for giving me your armor, but I've got God on my side. And this isn't a physical armor battle. This is a spiritual armor battle. And I don't need a king's armor when I've got God's armor. Goliath's got a shield bearer, but I don't need a shield bearer. I've got God's armor on my side. Remember, this is the same David that said in Psalm 3, but the Lord is a shield around me. It's the same David that said in Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I'll put my trust in you. He said in Psalm 91, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. In Psalm 144, he said, he said, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. It's the same David that said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David didn't need Saul's armor. Thanks for your armor, Saul, but that's what not to wear. This is a spiritual battle, and I've got God on my side. I know we've said it before, but some of you need to hear it again because you're trying to figure out how to get some of Saul's armor on so you can fight your giant. And hey, if your giant's 10 pounds and you need to lose that weight, Jenny Craig or a personal trainer can help. That's fine. If your giant's depression and you need a therapist or medication, that's great. Do it. I'd still take that to God because God can, can resolve that in an instant as well. But by all means, get the help that you need. But if your giant is about obeying God or trusting God or defeating a spiritual enemy in an area of your life, then you need a spiritual armor. Mm -hmm. If your giant's a spiritual one, then Rush, Rush Limbaugh doesn't have what you need, and I like Rush. But there's no politician in the world that can help you with your prayer life. They may just make you realize that you need more prayer. If your battle's a spiritual one, then you need to realize that you plus God is bigger than any giant and begin to stand on the promises of God. Promises like the ones that say no weapon formed against you will prosper. Amen. Promises like the ones that tell you that if you train up a child in the way they should go, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Promises like the one where it tells us that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Reminders to be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. Reminders like the one Jesus gave where he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let your hearts not be troubled. Promises that remind you that you're more than a conqueror, that you can face the giants in your life, and with God's help you can see them fall. 
Youth, and if you'll come and just begin to play today. Everybody that's here today either has a giant that they're facing or a giant that they've defeated in their past. It's quite possible that as you face your giant, you're going to encounter hardened hearts and discouragement and fear and human thinking. You're going to experience people that are going to criticize you and ridicule you for being willing to take on a giant that they're not willing to take on in their own life. You're going to encounter struggles. You're going to encounter people that are going to tell you that you need to do this or you need to do that. Lots of voices that are going to try to communicate a lot of different things. I'm praying for the giants in our lives and in this church to fall. And I'm believing, God, that as you face and confront the biggest issues in your life, that you're going to see God move in miraculous ways to help you defeat your giants. With God's help, you can take on your giant. No matter how many people are lined up against you, you've got God on your side. Maybe as you've decided to face your giant, you've been trying to figure out what the best way is for you to fight in the physical. And maybe you've found that other people are who are unwilling to face their own giants are more than willing to tell you how you need to fight yours. And you're struggling, you're, you're hitting a wall over and over again because the battle's not a physical one. The battle's not one that somebody who's not willing to fight their own giant and doesn't understand spiritual armor and spiritual warfare can help coach you through. Maybe you've struggled with having a heart that dares to believe in God. Maybe you're not able to hear the voice of God in your life. As a result, you're not willing to face the giants in your life. Maybe you're battling doubt and discouragement as you think about all that you only are and all that you've never done. Some of you have, have thought about it over these past few weeks as we've been challenging you to face your giant. You've written down the name of your giant. You've circled the name of your giant. You've told yourself that you're going to face the giant with God's help. But as you've tried to do that over these last few weeks, you just keep saying, this is too big. There's no way that I can ever do this. This is just so hard. Maybe you've started, but you're feeling like you need to give up. You're here today and you're saying, you don't understand. I'm facing a really big, intimidating giant, and this one's really hard. I need God's help. Maybe even you sense that this isn't just a physical battle, but it's a spiritual one. I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to come forward. I'm just going to ask you to stand if that's you. You're facing a giant today. You say, well, I stood a couple weeks ago, and, and I, I don't know what people will think of me if I have to stand again. Well, who cares what people think of you? If you're worried about what people think of you, then you're never going to get to the real giant. You're just going to be focused on those thoughts and opinions of others. I want you to know today that you're in an environment right now surrounded by other giant killers. You're not surrounded by a bunch of King Saul's today. We're family and we're all facing giants or we face giants and we're in this fight with you. If there's someone standing close to you, would you just stand with them or put a hand on their shoulder or stretch out a hand to them today? We're going to pray. We want you to know that no matter how big your giant is, your God is bigger and you're not alone. God is on your side and we're by your side. You, we can't fight your giant for you, but we can fight your giant with you. So I want to pray for you today. We're going to ask God to do what only he can do in this place, in every one of these situations. God, I thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I thank you for you speaking to hearts, for you drawing people closer to you today. And God, we come to you today facing some challenging and intimidating giants. 
God, I, I pray for people who, as they look at the giant in their path, they're a little bit more than frightened today. Maybe even after having taken the first few steps, they, they begin to see the giant coming at them and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And God, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts and let them know that you're on their side. No matter how big the giant is, that Lord, you and them are bigger and there's no giant that can defeat you. God, remind them that you are our shield and our strength. God, that you go before us and you fight for us. I just believe that there's some people here, God, that are wondering if they have what it takes to defeat this giant. They're wondering if they're good enough or if they're smart enough or if they're ready enough. But God, I thank you that you are more than enough. And I pray that the giants would fall and giants would be defeated. God, we leave behind the discouragement. We leave behind the fear. Don't let our hearts be hardened and don't let us turn away from you and begin to depend on our own ability and our own strength. God, we want to hear your voice. Would you speak to us today? Don't let us buy into the lie that the world wants to tell us of all the things that we don't have and that they say that we need to fit into their mold. God, we need more than anything. What we need more than anything is more of you. So God, would you surround every situation and every person with your presence? Lord, where they sense even right now that you're with them, that you're fighting this giant alongside them, that you're fighting for them, and Lord, that they're not alone. And there's no situation that's too big. Surround us with your presence. Remind us that you can do anything. Because with God, there's nothing that's impossible. Lord, we just give you thanks in advance for the giants that are falling. God, I thank you for the giants that have already fallen, that you're already working in these situations, that you're already moving on behalf of each and every one of these needs. God, would we hear reports of more miraculous situations, of more giants that have fallen, of giants that have been defeated as people stand and fight in this spiritual battle. Lord, we thank you for who you are in Jesus' name.